Did you know a third of your life will be spent in work? That's approximately 90,000 hours of your life. And for something we spend such a vast amount of time doing, we don't really seem to enjoy what we do. A recent uh, government poll found that only 17% of British workers love their job. I wonder if you're in that small minority this morning. What does the Bible tell us about work? Let me give you three things to start with. Three things the Bible tells us about work. First of all, work is from God. Our introduction to God at the very beginning of the Bible is as a worker. We meet God as he goes about creating the universe. There in the opening chapters of Genesis, he is a a designer who creates with the power of a word and someone who completes those tasks with joy and satisfaction. And the fact that we have been made in God's image means that we too have been created to be workers. We see the instructions God gives to his children. We, we are to follow his example. It says this, God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the air and over every living thing that moves upon the earth. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to farm it and keep it. So God gives mankind this special role of of looking after the world he had made. And therefore, our attitude to work will reveal how much we have uh, been formed in the image of God to develop in us. Secondly, though, the Bible tells us that work is under a curse. We've seen that work was a part of the perfect world that God had made. But work itself is not a result of the curse. Although it may feel like it, it's just because it is under a curse. In Genesis 3, we see that despite being a gift from God, work was a result of, uh, work was cursed as a result of Adam's disobedience. So before the fall, Adam would have woken up with joy and with excitement at what the day ahead would bring. He would have enthusiastically and and comfortably uh, farmed the land and cared for the the creatures in the garden. But after Adam disobeys God in Genesis 3, we read God's judgment upon Adam and his descendants. Cursed is the ground for your sake. In toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Both thorns and thistles it shall bring forth to you, and you shall eat the herb of the field. In the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. God is saying, work will now be tough. It will be difficult. It will be sweat-inducing, and the days will be long, and they will be hard. Your inbox will always be full. There will be mind-numbing reports you have to do. The risk assessments, endless. The conference calls, pointless. But thirdly, the Bible tells us this. Work is here to stay. Work is here to stay. If your biggest hope 
for Jesus returning at the end of time is to go to some big retirement home in the sky where you can play Scrabble and play golf or whatever retired people do. I don't know. You can clearly tell. Then we need to reassess what the Bible says about work. When we read Isaiah 65, we have a description of what the new heavens and the new earth will be like. And remember, when Christ comes in glory, there will be judgment, but there will also be renewal. And our new eternal lives will not only be lived in wonderful bodies without fault and without defect, but we will also have purpose and enjoyment as we go and explore and do tasks and projects. Listen to this description from Isaiah 65. They shall build houses and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and eat their fruits. They shall not build and another inhabit. They shall not plant and another eat. For as the days of a tree, so shall be the days of my people. And my elect shall long enjoy the work of their hands. They shall not labor in vain, nor bring forth children for trouble. For they shall be the descendants of the blessed of the Lord and their offspring with them. They're going to have jobs. And of course, some of you will have to retrain. Some jobs won't be needed in heaven because they are done in reaction to the things that have come from the fall. So Emmanuel's firemen and the doctors and the nurses and the physiotherapists and the OTs and the speech and language therapists and the opticians and the tax workers and the psychologists and policemen, you're going to have to find a new job, I'm afraid. Because when Jesus comes back, the good news is that you won't be needed. We will not find these things anymore. And we will not find our jobs difficult or stress-inducing or painful. It will be joyful and exciting. So with those uh, foundational truths in mind, those three core truths of the Bible, let's turn to the book of Proverbs once again and see what wisdom we can unearth from it to help us work for God's glory. And one of the most time-consuming and yet important things that you can do is to put together a CV. And uh, if you go on the internet, you can enjoy some terrible CVs. Uh, I, I was enjoying them this week. There's someone who, um, who put down in their strengths attention to detail, and they put it down twice. Um, <laughs> So that completely ruined that. Or there was someone who was asked on their CV, uh, reason for leaving previous employment. And they put, it was hard work. Uh, so CVs tread this balance, don't they, of trying to sound competent while not sounding like you're bragging too much. And the book of Proverbs is, is full of wisdom about how we work for God's glory. Also about how foolish we can be. So what I thought we would do this morning is look at the CV of the fool described in the book of Proverbs. Because as we look at Proverbs, uh, it tells us the difference between the wise and the foolish workers. And we will see uh, five characteristics you will see in the foolish worker. And because people love alliteration so much when they all have the same letter, they're going to be five letters beginning with, with you. And as we see what a foolish worker looks like, I'm sure we will see what a godly worker looks like. So first of all, 
to be unprepared. The foolish worker is unprepared. The writer of the Proverbs turns our attention towards the ground in order to teach us a lesson about how to work well. He says, go to the ant, you sluggard. Consider her ways and be wise, which having no captain, overseer or ruler, provides her supplies in the summer and gathers her food in the harvest. How long will you slumber, O sluggard? When will you rise from your sleep? Oh, a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to sleep. So shall your poverty come on you like a prowler and your need like an armed man. Why ants? Well, you need to watch Bug's Life to, to realize why he's talking about busy ants. But ants are an example of hard workers. Not only do ants lift objects weighing as much as 50 times their own body weight, but they carry these loads all the way back to their nests. Uh, they, they work in, in crews and they prepare well. Studies have found that these species construct uh, complex societies uh, with some groups building roads, others collecting foods and others farming. They, they pull leaves from, uh, from trees and they, they take them underground and with those leaves they, they feed their young. It's very impressive. And the writer sees them as a wonderful example of cooperation and, and planning for the future. But the writer of the Proverbs also has two other things about, uh, to say about how we ought to be prepared. He says, he who gathers in summer is a wise son. He who sleeps in harvest is the son who causes shame. The lazy man will not plow because of winter. He will beg during harvest and have nothing. So let me ask you this morning, do you plan for the future? And we don't live in... A, an agrarian society today. We don't, we're not reliant on farming in the same way as the people of old. So we're not, we're not tied to the rhythms of, of preparation and harvest. But the wisdom still stands for today, doesn't it? Are we wise in how we prepare? Are we wasting our days and hoping that everything will be all right in the end? Are we good stewards of the gifts that God has given us and the time that God has allowed us uh, to have, or are we lazy and unwilling to take responsibility? This goes for every aspect of our lives, that we ought to be prepared for the things that matter day to day, and even more in regards to the things of eternal importance. Are we prepared for the Lord's return? Or like the lazy man, sleeping while his friends are sowing, will harvest take us by surprise? Go to the ant, he says. Consider her ways. That's the first thing, to be unprepared. Secondly, to be unfair. The second characteristic is our fairness. And uh, Paul, our pastor, dealt with this theme a few weeks back when we looked at living a life of integrity and in honesty. And it's vital for us as believers in the workplace to be fair, to be honest, to be men and women of integrity, to not take advantage of others for our own profit. And this can make us stand out, because if you're in a team which is constantly slacking at work, and you decide to be the one who is going to work a full day's work for a full day's pay, that will make others look bad. 
They're going to get mad at you. They may turn against you. They had a, a good thing going until you came along and you've ruined it. Or if you're an estate agent or, or a car salesman and uh, you've got something that is on the market and you realize there's a, there's a hidden fault with this house or, or something wrong with this car. It's not a deadly fault. It's not going to cause someone to explode on the drive home. But if you just told someone, it, it might knock some value off the price and it would maybe ruin your commission figures too. Do you tell them and jeopardize everything or do you keep your mouth shut? But when it comes to tax returns and, and expense forms, do you fiddle around with your expenses figures for an extra bit of pocket money? And there are a number of proverbs which, which warn us about how we are to be fair in the workplace. Listen to these. Wealth gained by dishonesty will be diminished, but he who gathers by labor will increase. Honest weights and scales are the Lord's. All the weights in the bag are his work. In those days, con men used to put um, weights on the, on the uh, underside of, of the scales in order to uh, make things heavier and to charge a higher price and sell less at the same time. And, and the Proverbs are speaking out against this kind of practice. Or listen to this one. Making a fortune through a lying tongue is a vanishing mist. It's a pursuit of death. And not only does God see everything that we do, but remember too that our colleagues see everything that we do. And they will not bat an eyelid the, the 50 times that you do something well. But they only need to see you lie once or lose your temper once and they will not forget in a hurry. So let's ask ourselves this morning, do we cut corners? Do we lie in order to gain a, an advantage on our, on our colleagues? Do we... Do we Fudge the numbers in order to make ourselves look better. So let's be above reproach in our workplaces. Let's go above and beyond in order to show that we serve a fair God, a truthful God, a God who is just. Let's remember that, that proverb that, that Dewey mentioned before. He who follows righteousness and mercy finds life, righteousness and honor. And the prophet Daniel is, is a wonderful example of this. When he was a, a captive in Babylon, he made his way through the ranks, didn't he? Uh, while his, his colleagues, the, the Babylonians themselves, were deceitful and manipulative and they were backstabbing, he was honest. He was hardworking. And despite ruling under a, a foreign king who had taken him from his family and his homeland, he served with, with loyalty and honesty and never compromised his faith. And therefore, Daniel slowly elevated uh, to the position of one of the three governors over all the officials of Babylon. And this promotion caused great jealousy among his colleagues. They sought to take Daniel's life. And so they told King Darius, he said, establish a new law that says anyone who makes a petition to any other god apart from you, O king, for 30 days shall be cast into a den of lions. And yet Daniel doesn't change, doesn't change anything about his daily routine. He prays to his father and is arrested and is thrown into the den of lions. And yet he serves knowing that he is serving the true king. And if he loses his life, then so be it. He'll be with his savior. 
May we be of similar integrity and honesty in our workplaces. Uh, thirdly, are you an unwilling worker? Are you an unwilling worker? If you've been in church life for a while, if you've been at part of a church for, for longer than a week, say, you'll realize that a big part of church life is moving chairs. And uh, when I was in my teens, I realized that there was a way of getting out of this. While everyone was, was straining their backs and building up a sweat, you, all you had to do was lean on a chair and pretend to count. And it looked as if you were masterminding the whole thing. So you just try this. Yeah, that's good. It's five. There should be five there. Yeah. And it worked. I've been doing this for about 15 years now. Um, and look out for people doing it because I've taught people my tricks. Um, but maybe this is how you operate and work. Are you willing to let someone else do the hard yards while you have a cuppa and a chat in the afternoon? Do you give off the impression that you're a hard worker when others are doing twice as much work in order to cover for your unwillingness? And the book of Proverbs talks about this character called the sluggard. It's one of those words that sounds exactly like what it is, sluggard. And it's a caricature of someone really lazy, and it's referred to 14 times. And to get an idea of how lazy this character is, listen to this. The sluggard buries his hand in the dish, but it wears him out to bring it back to his mouth. Imagine being that lazy. You're willing to put your hand in the packet of crisps, but oh, to bring the crisps back up to your mouth, that's just too much effort. Why is laziness so dangerous? Now, let me get this straight. Laziness is not the same as relaxing and resting. Laziness is the avoidance of all responsibility or difficulty. The lazy sluggard is unwilling to face moments in life when they will be stretched in any way. They refuse to do anything that will require something from them. Now, God wants us to live lives that are, are fulfilled, where we work, what we enjoy doing. Uh, they're all gifts from him. And laziness goes completely against this. It's completely self-serving. And we're reminded of that proverb that says, in all labor, there is profit, but idle chatter leads only to poverty. Are you unwilling to work because you know it's going to be hard? Would you much rather chat the day away than push yourself? Are you happier staying in bed than making a difference somewhere? Is scrolling through your phone easier than taking responsibility? Of course it is. But in all labor, there is profit, says the proverb. There's much to gain from graft and hard work. So let's be sacrificial, not allowing others to do our jobs for us, but to, to serve like the Lord Jesus served. Fourthly, are you unrelenting in work? Many people listening this morning, I'm sure, will not have been able to relate to the proverbs about the sluggards. You can't stand lazy people. Your work is important to you. Your drive for success is unequaled. You're the first to arrive and you're the last to leave. And you've worked from the very bottom to get to where you are today. And so you see that the pendulum can swing the other extreme. There's some people who don't like lifting a finger, while there's others who don't know when to stop working. 
And there's Proverbs which warn us against this sort of obsessive behavior. It says, do not toil to acquire wealth. Be discerning enough to desist. When your eyes light on it, it is gone. For suddenly it sprouts wings, flying like an eagle towards heaven. The key here is that the writer says, do not toil to acquire wealth. He doesn't say, don't work in order to gain money. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, he's not saying it's sinful to have a healthy salary. What he's warning against is a, is a relentless work ethic to be constantly checking emails where your job becomes your life to such an extent that you don't fear death anymore. You fear losing your job. There's no way someone else could do the job I do. There's no way that someone could fill the role I've done once I'm gone. And although, yes, we're called to work. I've said that many times today. We're called to provide for our families and to serve others. But we're not called to overwork. So think to yourselves this morning. Challenge yourselves. Are the demands of your work unrelenting? Are you sacrificing family time? Are you missing out on personal Bible study? Are you unable to come and serve in church? Are you getting less sleep all for the sake of your professional development? Is work the first thing that you think of when you rise up in the morning? Is it the last thing that you think of when you go to bed at night? Is it what fills your daydreams? Are you unable to take time off because you think that people can only really succeed when I'm there? Are your lifestyle choices choices, and your spending habits becoming so unsustainable that it's getting to a point where changing job now would lead you to be a financial shipwreck? You wouldn't be able to keep up with the payments because you've worked so hard to get there. If any of those questions challenged you, then it's time to confess to God that you need his help in changing. Yes, God wants us to work. He was wise enough to give us a pattern of rest as well. Rest and sleep are a wonderful gift from God. It reminds us that the world keeps going even when we're not there. We've been given the example by God of rest. He didn't need rest, but yet he worked six days and rested on the seventh. Money is not the all-powerful, all-life-saving, transforming God we think it is. Listen to this. Whoever trusts in his riches will fall, but the righteous will flourish like a green leaf. Money is useful. Of course it is. If we treat it as a God, then we will only fail because it cannot do the things that God has done for us. And fifthly and finally, the last view is unremarkable. We should not hope to find that our work is unremarkable. Are you apathetic about your work? The writer of the Proverbs makes it clear that work is not a minor thing. Being apathetic is not a, not a good thing. Listen to this proverb. He who is slothful in his work is a brother to him who is a great destroyer. Laziness is something that will cause destruction. It's costly. It's not just something which affects your own life. It affects everything around you as well. So what can you do to avoid apathy or laziness? Listen to this verse from the letter to the Galatians. Let us not grow weary doing good. 
For in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all, especially to those who are in the household of faith. We're not to get tired or bored of doing good. Work diligently with care. We're not reflecting God when we produce unremarkable work. Our great example is God, who had great satisfaction in what he did. Remember what we read in in Genesis. God saw all that he had made and saw that it was good. Nothing that he had planned and spoken to creation, he regretted at a later date. May we be able to say the same thing about our work. When uh, one preacher wisely said this, when it is done for the Lord, work becomes worship. When it is done for the Lord, work becomes worship. It's true, isn't it? Let this proverb be an encouragement to you. Do you see a man who excels in his work? He will stand before kings. He will not stand before unknown men. And we've got examples of this in the New Testament as well. It's not just there in the old. Think of the disciples who were fishermen, who often toiled day and night in order to provide for their families. Or Paul, the missionary, who preached in the synagogues and the, and the churches of the time. But he was a tent maker. He wasn't reliant on, on the gifting of others. This is what he said. For you remember, brethren, our labor and toil, for laboring day and night, that we might not be a burden to any of you. We preach to you the gospel of God. And Jesus himself, a carpenter or, or a builder, would have learned the trade from his father and exemplified all of the wisdom that we've read about in Proverbs today and how he worked in his three-year ministry. He worked hard and he worked carefully and he worked thoughtfully and he worked willingly. And yet even Jesus took time away from the people. His aim was not earthly riches. He didn't have a home to call his own or a wardrobe of clothes, but lived simply. And there is grace and there is mercy through the Lord Jesus for the times where we have been lazy and for the times where we've been overzealous in our work, where we have been unprepared or apathetic and the times where we have cheated and misled others. And we can know forgiveness for all those things. If that is you this morning, there's forgiveness to be found. But looking forward, let me close with these words. Uh, Ephesians 6, I, I read these words earlier. Ephesians 6 says, Slaves, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear and with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. Obey them not only to win their favor when their eye is on you, but as slaves of Christ doing the will of God from your heart. Serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord, not people, because you know that the Lord will reward each one for whatever good they do, whether slave or free. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are a God who is a worker. That first glimpse we see of you in the scriptures is of you busy at work, and we thank you for making us into workers. And we pray and we ask your forgiveness for the times where we have been lazy and slothful and unprepared. Or maybe we've been 
overzealous and overly concerned about the things of this world. Help us, Lord, to get the right balance. Help us to be like the Lord Jesus, who always knew what to do. Would he be our example? But would he also be the one who transforms our hearts, the one who makes us righteous? And we pray that you would help us in all these things. Amen.